Hi everyone, thank you for joining us on Eagle Eye today. Every week we have exclusive interviews with BC professors, alumni, student athletes, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to catch up on the latest headlines and recommend guests you'd like to hear from. And check out The Heights YouTube page for exclusive video interviews. Joining us today is Christy Lewis, a junior in MCAS, studying biology with minors in African diaspora studies and global public health and the common good. Christy is this year's recipient of BC's Martin Luther King Jr. Scholarship, an award given to a junior who has demonstrated superior academic achievement, extracurricular leadership, community service, and involvement within the African-American community and African-American issues. She is currently the Vice President for the Haitian Association, a Black Women Matter Retreat Co-Leader from the Women's Center, and the Ahana Plus Legacy Programmer for ALC. Thank you for being here today, Christy. Congratulations on being this year's scholarship recipient. That is so exciting. Thank you so much. How did you first feel when you found out? Um, well, we didn't know like until the day of, so we kind of knew about the five finalists, and honestly, the other four were like some of my closest mm -hmm. best friends. So I, so I didn't really go into the evening kind of expecting anything. I was just super excited to be with them, and also super super proud because I know what it meant for all of us to be finalists. Um, so immediately I was like shocked because I was like, oh wow, like I, I don't feel any more deserving than any of them that um, that were up with me, and then also just really proud that I could share that space with my parents, but then also with them. So it just was like a mix of gratitude. Um, and just like a lot of, yeah, I'm, I was just really proud. Is Please. there um, any aspect of Martin Luther King's life and legacy that you feel particularly connected to through this whole process? Um, I think definitely. I obviously I learned a lot about him, like kind of growing up, you know, as you do in your history classes. But like I said, kind of um, in my speech when I was accepting, it's always kind of a very like he was a very nice guy and like, yeah, he fought for peace and kind of, you know, but that's all he did. Um, and people didn't really talk about his like radical aspects of how he wasn't just passive and he was very much like into the community. And I think like reading that about him now and kind of just understanding gave me a better perception of like the work that I want to do. Of just not being passive that sometimes it, it needs to be radical and it needs to be like you have to like speak up and have your voice heard and go into those communities directly and not just say it so I think that has been really inspiring um, from his work and his life that has kind of led me to what I've been doing now absolutely um, so if we go back a little bit is there are there any moments that you can pinpoint um, in your childhood or maybe in high school that kind of led you to have this steadfast commitment to social justice um, I think I've always just had it just in a, as a natural part of my identity because I think as a like a first generation a college student I'm an immigrant I'm immigrated here from Haiti social justice is always at the forefront of my mind because I know what it's like to be on the other side or to be a part of like people who are oppressed and kind of having to fight for your right and having to fight for your seat at the table so I think it was just kind of like inherent since I was younger. It's like I've had so many kind of trailblazers fight for my seat at the table that it's time for me to give back with whatever career I do or wherever I go, especially um, in college. So I believe you are a biology major yes. with an African diaspora studies and a global public health and the common good minor. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide that you wanted to combine these seemingly kind of different areas and do they overlap in any of your plans for the future or anything that you've done in the past? 
Yeah, definitely. I remember, like, when I was trying to decipher what minors I wanted to have, I was like, oh, these, like, don't go long at all. And, like, like Christy, like, what are you doing? But then when I kind of pinpointed my focus of being, like, maternal health, especially black um, maternal health and how it relates to black women um, dying during labor or delivery in their pregnancy, it was kind of like a perfect storm of everything. So obviously bio for the, the science part of medicine and then African-African diaspora studies to kind of understand the history of racism within our healthcare system and then public health. And it gives more of a public health focus especially as it is globally so i'm not hoping to only look at the united states but to also look around the world about how black mothers are dying um just three times like more likely than their counterparts so i think it was like a a perfect fit of everything and i i was able to get components of like what i want to do from every single subject area and they kind of all work together because sometimes i think often we like think of the medicine side oh like i can just give a prescription but people forget about the history of like racism or we can think about like the medicine side and forget the public health about that aspect how it affects people globally and how you kind of have to start before the person even gets into the hospital or as a patient. That's the whole point of a liberal arts education Mm -hmm. is to figure out how to combine your interests and maximize your energy. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about how you first became aware of the disparity in treatment between black and white mothers and what that inequality looks like right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, I think it's kind of just inherent from who I am. So I'm, like I said, I was from Haiti. So Haiti is, um, it has like the worst um, maternal mortality rate um, within the Western Hemisphere and just, just because of lack of resources. And I have a pers- personal connection um, just with my grandmother, also just growing up hearing stories about how her labor and delivery experiences were very hard and very difficult because of lack of resources. And then also realizing, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm coming to the United States. Like there's so much more access and this like doesn't happen here. And then I take like one of my first like public health classes and I learned about the statistic and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I have family members that have experienced that within hospitals within Boston of that disparity of like feeling like their pain isn't um, like taken seriously as like other patients and also the statistics like the numbers don't lie so I think a combination of my own personal experiences with my family but then finally like having the statistics to back up what I've been feeling or what I've been seeing um, again has kind of like pushed me into that direction. As you're looking at these statistics and even just from a personal standpoint, what do you see as the biggest challenge in ensuring that black mothers have the same quality of care and respect as their white counterparts? I think it's undoing history, right? Because I think there's still medical books that have, like, to this day that say, like, black mothers don't feel pain as much as white uh, mothers. Or it's, like, they equate them to horses, actually, and they're saying it's, like, they don't they don't need as many pain medication or they don't need as many interventions because they're able to, like, handle it, which is obviously we know from research there's, that's absolutely not true. So I think it's, like, how do you teach students, you know, even within medical schools of, like, what you're learning is important to be able to go into the field and kind of teaching them the racism behind our medical history within the United States and also globally. So I think that's the hardest thing because oftentimes when you maybe you're working with someone who's maybe traditional or old fashioned, they're like, oh, that's the way we've always done it. Or that's the way the healthcare system has always looked. Being like, no, like this is not true and this is how we need to change this. So I think unlearning something that's been so prevalent for so long um, is definitely hard and I think change is slow um, just because it is a huge statistic if you're having something three times as likely to kind of bring that back down to being equal is it takes time and it takes a lot of effort and work. I think the word unlearning is key Mm -hmm. because it comes at a personal level people having to kind of look at preconceived notions and what they've been taught Mm -hmm and then look at the actual textbooks (laughs) that maybe have flawed information and we need to come at any sort of health 
problem or situation from a biological basis. Mm -hmm. And it is crazy to think that there's no proof um, for some of the the teachings. Um, You've mentioned your family in Haiti a lot. Um, Are there any other experiences or any aspects of that identity that you think have given you a specific perspective on like inequality and maybe even like race relations in the U.S.? Um, I think like, yeah, definitely. I, again, like I, I carried them with me, a lot of my family. So a lot of them are still back in Haiti. Um, and I think it's so easy to come here and like forget to be like, oh, well, you know, everything's great over here. And like kind of forget about like the way that Haiti has been treated over time. And I think oftentimes people like to blame Haiti and say like, oh, it's their own, like the own population's issues or whatever. But when you like think of the history of um, colonialism and like U.S. intervention and France, um, France intervention in Haiti, you see the 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 way the Haiti is right now or the way the country is unfortunately like what's going on is as a result of like the United States and of France, um, it gives like a personal like, I don't know, like a personal calling to try to have people understand like the power of the Haitian people, like what they need and the resources that they need to be granted because so many, so much has been stripped away from them. So it's like you grow up knowing about this, I hear about it, I live the experience, I have family members that are currently living the experience. So it's kind of hard to like decipher it or like, or no, to separate it between the work I do and who I am. It kind of all intertwines and it all works together. So you talk about this calling that you have and from your personal experiences and experiences with your family that you've kind of tried to incorporate through your studies. And you've also joined programs that focus on advocacy and inclusion, and you've taken on leadership roles within the Haitian Association and other campus groups. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for students who may not be involved in similar organizations but want to become more outspoken in fighting for social justice, especially in these healthcare issues? Yeah, I think um, it also takes a conversation. So maybe you're not the type, you know, some people are like just not the type to join a club, I don't have time, but I think what's important is like having conversation with one person. Like let's say you feel very strongly about an issue, having conversation with one other person can also be what like causes that chain reaction for something to get done. So maybe you can't join a club right away, but that's some that's someone that you could like maybe share your dreams and aspirations of beyond BC with is really important. And I think also for me, I found like faculty mentors are huge. Um, I wouldn't be able to be like in the position I am or like do the work that I do or find like the internships or like the communities that need my help without faculty members. So some of the professors um, that, you know, that have like been your, like that's taught your classes or you've seen around are really good mentors and can help guide you and kind of launch you into that direction of the work that you can do because there's so much that needs to be done. So it can be overwhelming, but I think also just like finding your niche or what like what drives you and what kind of makes your heart like, you know, flutter, I think is really important and can kind of guide um, the work that you do in the direction that you go in. I love that you said whatever makes your heart flutter because that's part of the whole process of discernment while we're in college, before and after, mm-hmm. is figuring out how to reconcile maybe what is it considered like a traditional safe approach, what is gonna allow you to lead a comfortable lifestyle, but then also actually pursuing the things that are going to bring you joy and fulfillment and it's so cool that for you that is also something that helps a lot of other people um is there a motto a motto or like a teaching that you think most informs your leadership style and like how you approach working on these pretty daunting issues in in the day-to-day um i think leadership for me or the motto i was going back like always go by 
it's kind of leadership is putting okay so my like high school like superintendent used to say like putting the person who's usually the caboose at the front of the line and I've kind of like ran with that even though it's like such a little weird thing <laughs> but I think um oftentimes leadership sometimes people think it's like being the loudest person in the room and I don't think that's necessarily true I think it's kind of giving a voice to maybe the person who's maybe the quietest or kind of bringing those people along with you so for me leadership has always been like what can I do for others or how can I give the like other people the platform to say what they need to say in that position so whether it's an HA it's like if you know somebody has an idea maybe like ah, I don't feel like saying it but being able to like advocate for them so it really looks like putting maybe those who aren't in the same position as you and putting them at the at the platform as well and making sure um, they're included and have a seat at that table. I like it. Yeah, giving a new that. meaning to being men and women for others. Yeah. We hear that yes. and we say it so often, yeah. but mm-hmm. we have to figure out how to live it in our own lives and yes. that can look different for pe- mm-hmm. different I, people. I love that motto. I feel like I have learned in some of my classes even now like a lot of the issues is that the people who are most affected by racism and other things are the people who don't have the access or the platform to speak up about it. Mm-hmm. So I love that idea of putting the the people at the caboose, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. first and mm-hmm. using leadership to help them use their voices as opposed to just using yours, which is really inspiring. Yeah. That's all we have for you today. Thank you yes. so much. Thank you <laughs> so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of Eagle Eye. Remember to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to recommend guests and check out The Heights Facebook and Twitter pages every Monday for the latest headlines. See you next time. Bye.